Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. As always, we want to invite you to consider subscribing to this podcast so that you can get regular updates. And if you would like to give to the work of Life Church, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org/give. Um, I want to let you know uh, just a brief announcement. We recorded for the first time in a long time something other than a sermon just last week, and uh, it was me talking to our youth director, Roger Santini, and we kind of talked about uh, his start here as well as the state of youth ministry, the state of youth and parents. Uh, It was a really good conversation. We talked for about 45 minutes, and that is available on our podcast. If you are a parent or if you're just genuinely interested in youth ministry and you want to go back and listen to that, I highly recommend it. Uh, today, this podcast is going to be uh, Pastor Daniel Fegbui, and he is continuing in our series called Hidden Figures. He's going to be talking about St. Augustine, uh, one of the early black church uh, or African church fathers, and uh, it's a really uh, wonderful, informative, almost biographical message, but still very inspiring. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, without further ado, here is Pastor Daniel with Hidden Figures, Augustine. Our text uh, today will be found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not a result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you because you called us. We come to you because we need you. We come to you because you are sufficient. And now we pray that the Spirit of the living God will use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God, that all the things that we do may be done to the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Well, hello, folks. How are you? All right, all right, all right. Well, we are in our third week of our sermon series called Hidden Figures. Uh, The title of this series, as you may well know, is derived from the movie Hidden Figures, which came out uh, a few years ago, 2016 or so. That movie displayed to the world the important contributions of three African-American women, Uh, the contributions to the National Aeronautic Space Administration, NASA for short. These brilliant mathematicians and engineers, Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, were the brains behind the greatest space operation in human history. The efforts of these women saved and advanced the NASA space program. Yet for decades, their identity and contributions were largely hidden from the public. Similar to that movie, which brought much deserved attention and celebration to the contributions of those three distinguished women, a sermon series is meant to bring much deserved attention to a few hidden figures in church history. In order for us to acknowledge their contribution to Christendom or Christianity and to celebrate the beauty of diversity in the universal body of Christ. 
So today's hidden figure is none other than St. Augustine. Show of hands if you've ever heard that name before. Amen. A bunch of folks from Catholic backgrounds in here, huh? We're going to explore his life and ministry. The life and ministry of this great man, the African bishop, whose contributions to theology and philosophy is said to be unrivaled by anyone, perhaps only the New Testament apostles. Now, in order to help us appreciate who St. Augustine was and to understand his contributions, we're going to explore three observations about this man's life. Three observations about his life and ministry. First, we're going to look at Augustine's conversion. How was he saved? When was he saved? Secondly, we're going to look at Augustine's contention. What did he fight for? What did he stand for? And then thirdly, we're going to explore Augustine's contributions. What did he bring to Christianity? What did he add to the faith? Let's look at his conversion. In 354 AD, Augustine was born in Tagast, Namibia, in Africa, northern Africa to be precise. This is modern-day Algeria. Augustine was born to an upper-middle-class family. His father, Patricius, was a politician, a Roman politician, and also a pagan, which means he worshipped the pantheon gods of Rome. His mother, though, was a devout Christian and a devoted mother. Monica, his mother, she spent most of her life and most of Augustine's formative year teaching him about God and about Christianity, hoping that he would take on her faith. But young Augustine preferred the careless the carefree, the the, the sort of pervasive and perverted pleasure-seeking life of his father. He desired the pleasures and the luxuries of the world. He wanted those things. To say that young Augustine was ambitious would be a gross misunderstatement. Augustine's ambition would eventually lead him to financial success, to fame and fortune. He would even be appointed to high positions by the emperor of Rome. He felt like he arrived. But unfortunately, Augustine's success and fame would also lead him into a life of drunkenness, paganism, and sexual immorality. Bet you didn't know that about Augustine. Good old Uncle Augie got around a little bit. (laughs) For decades, Augustine gave himself over to every vice and pleasure that he could imagine. Augustine was having so much fun sinning that it's said that he said at one time mockingly, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Some of us can resonate with that prayer. Now, while all of this was going on, Monica faithfully kept on praying for her son. She kept on praying that God will save him. And finally, 32 years in 386 AD, God saved Augustine. After 32 years of praying and lamenting that God will save her son, God answered. Question for you, specifically parents. Do you pray for your children's salvation regularly? Regularly. Do you pray for the salvation of anybody that you know doesn't know the beauty and the joy and the peace in Christ? Regularly. To be honest, if after two weeks we haven't had an answer to our prayer, some of us will say, maybe God doesn't want me to pray this. 32 years faithfully seeking God. What faith? What perseverance? Monica faithfully prayed for her son. And not only did her son get saved, but God would then use Augustine to become the greatest preacher, one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest philosophers, and one of the greatest thinkers of his time and even our time. 
Even today, his words are being quoted and referenced by scholarly institutions, both secular and Christian. God did much more than she could think or even imagine. In his autobiographical work called The Confessions, Augustine recounts his conversion story. And what a great story he is. He recounted that after decades of debauchery, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and paganism, he was spent. He was exhausted. He was tired of his sins but lacked the power to save himself, to change himself. In perhaps one of the greatest ironies of history, Augustine, who once prayed, Lord, make me pure, but not yet, now says, Lord, make me pure now. Save me now. Reach down and bring me to you now, begging the Lord. Augustine recounts for us a day as he was sitting in Milan in a park in Italy. He began to ruminate deeply in sorrow over his pain, over his sinful lifestyle. And Augustine heard the voice of a young child saying, pick it up and read it. I don't know if it was in hip-hop version, maybe pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. I don't know what the boy would say, but whatever he said, Augustine was like, how and why would this child be saying this at this time? It must be God. Running as fast as he can to find a copy of the Bible, not knowing anything about the Bible or the structure of the Bible. Perhaps all he remembered was what Monica told him as a baby. He said, I don't know what to do with the Bible. I'm just going to pick it up. And read it. Augustine said, I'm going to run as fast as I can. And as soon as he grabbed the copy of the Bible, he began to read. He was desperate for God. Question for you. Have you ever been that desperate for God? Running after him? Seeking to encounter him? If perchance he would encounter you? I'm reminded of the psalmist who says, as the deer pants for water. So my soul, Lord, hungers and longs for you. Desperate for God. Grabbing the first copy of the Bible he could, Augustine opened it randomly. Because you got to remember, there wasn't chapters and verses at that time. It would have been scrolls probably. Augustine randomly opens to Romans 13, verse 13, and began to read. Here's what Romans 13 said. Let us, not, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify his desires. Look at God. Before Augustine finished verse 14, he was no longer Augustine anymore. His life had changed. He recounts how in that moment he felt the peace of God. Sorrow and depression gave way to joy and peace. Hopelessness was replaced by faith. His desire, his desire to sin was now replaced by an unquenching hunger for God. Augustine was saved and converted in that very moment. And for the next 44 years, for the rest of his life, he served God and the church. What a testament. And the Lord wasn't done yet because that next year, Augustine and his son would be baptized, father and son saved. The same child that he had doing his sinfulness with his mistresses. At the age of 19, he became a father. Years later, he and that same prodigal 
illegitimate, if you will, son, now become adopted into the family of God. But sorrow was around the corner because at the same time, after his baptism, Monica would pass away. But not until she saw the promise of the Lord realized. In fact, Augustine speaks about the passing away of his mother. He says, it was so peaceful and tranquil. We sat and we discussed the goodness of the Lord to have saved me. And then we, we, we thought about and ruminated about the reunion we will finally have in heaven with God. What a testimony. What a joy. Monica was so at peace that she longed to be with God. She said, you have answered all of my prayers. What else do I have to wait for? After her death, Augustine would become a priest and eventually the Bishop of Hippo. Augustine would go on to serve the Lord and his church. Her greatest desire for her son was to see him saved. Augustine would even recount further and say, all of the fame and fortune he achieved before he knew Christ, that even though he had all of these things, his heart was always restless. This gives way and context to his most famous quote, You've heard me probably say this before. Augustine prayed and said to God, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Question for you. Are you restless? Do you even know that you are restless? To my young folks who think that you would find rest in a job or relationship, a profession, or even a lifestyle, please know that God has made you for himself and that you will always know restlessness until you find your rest in God. Any promise of rest apart from God is a recipe for disappointment. I've lived long enough. They didn't just give me some of this gray hair just because I'm cute. I earned a lot of these. Not because of age, alone, but because of experience that I've put myself in, and I've learned the hard way that any promise of rest in anyone other than God is just a recipe for disaster and disappointment. Smart men learn from their mistakes. Wise men learn from the mistakes of others. Amen. This brings us to our second observation about Augustine's life, his contention. What did this man stand for? What did he fight for? Well, there are a few contentions in Augustine's life, uh, one of which I think is one of the most important. His fight against what's called Pelagianism, named after the theologian, the British monk, Pelagius. You see, they, they had a contention. Augustine and Pelagius went back and forth in their debate. Perhaps this is probably one of the most important debates in church history, at least at that time. At the heart of their debate was the nature of the human will after the fall. The debate was, can man please God? Does man have the ability or does he need grace from God in order to be able to please God? The contention began, as the story goes, as most things happen, is that Pelagius was in Rome, and one of his friends said, did you hear what Augustine said? Did you read his book? How he said, and this is what Augustine said, Lord, grant what you command, and command what you will. 
You're, you're sitting here, you're like, why is that a problem? Makes sense to me. You have to understand, for Augustine, this prayer implies man's inability and dependence on God. Some of you are like, yeah, amen. As well as man's great need for the grace of God to do the very thing that God has commanded man to do. You've heard me say this before. It takes God to obey God. Now, you're saying amen, but in that time, it was a big issue. You see, because at the core of this is the fact that did I choose God or did God choose me? Did I make a decision to choose Christ or did Christ choose me all along? Pelagia's main defense for this was Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 28. And Deuteronomy chapter 28 says that it pronounces a series of curses and blessings on Israel, saying that whether or not they obey God, so if they obey God, they will be blessed, and if they don't, there's curse. So verse 1 through 14 talks about the blessing of God. If you obey the Lord in the land that you're going, you will get this, that, and a third. So verse 1 and 2, just as a, as a sort of tease, says this. If you indeed obey the Lord your God and carefully observe all his commandments that I am commanding you today, here's Moses speaking to the people, the Lord your God, Yahweh, will elevate you above all the nations. Verse 2. And all the blessings will come on you in abundance if you obey the Lord your God. Verse 14 down talks about how if you do not obey your Lord, your God, this will happen. And so for him, they say, Pelagius says, responsibility always implies ability. Because if I'm responsible for something, then I must have the ability to do that which I'm responsible for. Amen? You command me to take out the trash, but if I got no legs, no feet, no arm, which is weird, (laughs) because why would you command me? That's the point. You wouldn't do that to me. That would be cruel and unusual punishment. So for Pelagius, responsibility always implies ability. If humans have the moral responsibility to obey God, then they must have the moral ability to obey God. In other words, Pelagius argued that humans were fully capable of following God's command perfectly without any need for divine grace. How's that working for your life? Have you followed God perfectly? Because if you say yes, can I propose to you that right now you're not following God perfectly by lying? (laughs) Augustine, on the other hand, says this. He argued that humans are incapable of following God's command or loving God because of the presence and power of sin, which has corrupted the will of the human being. He speaks of original sin for for the most part, but he also includes in that our sins against God, which corrodes us. Sin will keep you longer than you expect, and it will do more damage than you ever imagined, especially to your own soul. So Augustine says it takes the grace of God to liberate the human from the power of sin, and then and only then can the human being obey and love God. Amen. Now, Augustine consulted many passages, unlike just one proof text. He consulted many passages in the Bible to show the divine need or the need for divine grace. Here are a few excerpts from Romans chapter 3, chapter 5, as well as Ephesians chapter 2. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says it this way. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. We could stop there for a second. None is righteous. None is good before God. None stands before God 
as good. None stands before God as sinless. But he goes up further in verse 11. No one understands. They don't even have wisdom. For what, Lord? No one seeks God. So much for seeking God. The Bible is clear. No one seeks God apart from God's work in them to cause them to seek God. Verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become unprofitable. This is sort of an investment term. God invests his soul, his life, his breath into us, and we have yielded lack of profit. We have not returned his investment, if you will. And he goes further. No one does good. No, not one. Somebody does good? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? No one means no one, not a person, can meet up to God's standards. No one. It puts you in a place where you're asking, well, then what hope do I have? Enters the gospel. We'll talk about that a little later. Romans 2, uh, 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, present tense now, continue to fall short of the glory of God. Sin has corrupted us so that all we can do is offer God sinful sacrifices. That the best we can offer, as the Bible says, is is like giving filthy rags to a holy God. Now, I will not waste your time in giving you the details of what that idiom actually means. Nathan knows. Jared knows. This is why they chuckled right now when I said it. The righteousness of human being is like filthy, disgusting rags before a holy God. Because all have sinned and continue to fall short of the glory, the praise, the doxa, the the approval of God. Translation, no one deserves or can earn God's approval. Romans 5, 6, 8. For while we were yet helpless or still helpless, helpless from what? Helpless to stop ourselves from sinning against God. At the right time, now in Greek, there's two terms for for time usually used, chronos and kairos. Chronos, chronological, which is where we get chronology from, right? It's sequential time, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock. That sounds good. So chronos, chronology, then kairos. That carries the weight with it. That speaks more of a divine appointment. That at the right time, at the divinely appointed time, Christ died for us. But who did he die for? The godly, the good, the righteous? He died for the ungodly. Because God demonstrates his love for us. You see, love that doesn't demonstrate is not love. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I can't tell you how many people are like, I want to come to God, but I've got to get myself together, Daniel. I want to come to God, but i got to fix some things, Daniel. No, you don't come to God fixed. You come to God to get fixed. This was Augustine's own personal experience. He was helpless to change himself. He could not. He would not change himself. But God did and demonstrated his love to him that God saved Augustine while he was still living a sinful, hostile life against God. Amen. That God doesn't wait for us to get right, to call us, to bring us into his family. 
Augustine was by no means, though, perfect after his conversion. But he was now no longer helpless against the power of sin. He was no longer helpless against the pull of sin. He was no longer helpless against the presence of sin. He was now able to battle sin from a standpoint of victory. He was fighting from salvation, not for salvation. He could lean now on that same grace that saved him to sanctify him, to keep on redeeming his desire. You see, in many ways, Augustine's story is my story, is your story. That the grace of God that saved me from a life controlled by sin continues now to save me still. Bless God that it's not a one-time salvation. But it's a salvation that keeps on saving till the end. You know when God's done with you? When you stand before him and say, I'm done. When you finally get to heaven, you can stop. God perseveres us. Not perseveres with us. He perseveres us. Causes us to persevere. Causes us to be sustained because he's the one who is doing the sustaining. And finally, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. You could read that and say, I was saved by grace, but then I had to put faith in God. Amen. But just before you get too prideful, look at verse 9. That faith itself is not your own. And the faith to believe in God comes from God. God does a work in you to cause you to see who he is and you put your faith in him. So you don't get any credit. You just made a good investment. It's not your own efforts, but it is the gift of God. Friends, do you earn gifts or do you just receive them? So that why, Lord? So no one can boast. Why would he write that except that we are prone to boasting? We are prone to saying we saved ourselves. We pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we earned it all. You see, at the core of Pelagius' argument is human pride, the desire to take credit for what only God can do. Me and God had a partnership. You and God had a partnership? It's a partnership. It ain't an equal one, is it? You remember what God did to Abraham? He made a covenant with Abraham. And typically when you make covenants with people, There's two equal parties. He clearly wanted to show, and the Bible says this, that the covenant was dependent only on him. Because had it been partially dependent on Abraham, because he's human, the covenant would not stand. He made Abraham go to sleep. Now, if you fall asleep doing contract negotiations, can you really take advantage for the contract? Cause a deep sleep to come on Abraham to show him that I don't need you. This is sustained only by me. Pelagius was arguing for human pride. Now, I want to color Pelagius a little bit nicer. He wasn't doing this just because he was proud. What he wanted to show was that human beings have some responsibility. That's fair to say, that you just can't phone it in. A great text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Work out your salvation. You, me, work it out. Because it is God who is at work in you, both to will 
and to do good. See how that works? You have been given power to subdue sin. To not do it, it's your responsibility. But don't say you ain't got power because he's given it to you. At the core of Augustine's argument is the weight of all of Scripture and human experience. That without God, all mankind will still be dead in their sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Augustine and the rest of the African bishops, they were convinced by sacred scripture and by their own experiences that sinlessness is impossible for human beings. That every day we sin. On our best day, we still mess up. And how can imperfect people ever think that they could please a perfect God? Question for you. Do you know the unmerited grace of God? Or are you still trying to earn what you cannot earn? Friends, this doctrine of grace frees us up to rest in God. That the same God who saves us keeps us. That we didn't earn his salvation, nor can we lose his salvation. This is dependent on God. This brings us to our final observation of Augustine's life and ministry. His contribution. Augustine is perhaps one of the most important thinkers of all of human history. He wrote over 400 books and epistles and letters, over 500 sermons, be it about time, about the problem of evil, about the existence of God, or about creation. You name the subject, Augustine probably wrote or spoke about it. Over 1,500 years later, his book called The Trinitate, which, is, which took him 20 years to write, to complete, Amen. 20 years of dedication about the Trinity. That's important. But that book still remains to be the most profound treatment on the topic of of the Trinity ever written. His famous book, The Confessions, is one of the most theologically robust and sound autobiographies I've ever personally read. His writings on the doctrine of grace served as the fire for the reformation of the church. His writings fed the souls of men like John Calvin and Martin Luther and Eurek Zingli, men who gave their life for the gospel. They read his writings and they said, grace is sufficient if you would trust in God. Over and against the Catholic church at the time, the Roman Catholic church that preached a works-based salvation, that you had to earn God's grace. Grace isn't grace if you have to earn it, Augustine wrote. And Luther pen could not stop being on fire as he wrote his 95 theses and and nailed it to to the wall reminding people that it's only by grace that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and all of this is done solely Deo Gloria to the glory of God alone Augustine is described by theologians and philosophers and speakers throughout the ages as staggeringly brilliant and rhetorically unmatched. This goes for Christians and non-Christians alike. His contemporaries even took note of his brilliance. You know you're a bad man when people who live when you live are still saying you're awesome. You got to die sometimes before people see your genius. Augustine's contributions to the church And her theology and ministry were so immense that he's one of the first and few people to be called a doctor of the church. A doctor of the church. 
This title is only afforded to those whose writings and teachings are of particular importance in the Christian church. Those whose works are considered to be both true and timeless. Augustine was a doctor of the church. But more importantly than all of these academic accolades, more important than all of these prestigious titles that he had, Augustine was fully committed and faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same gospel that saved him then and continues to save today. Augustine's work sets the tone for all of Western theology and philosophy. And its influence is still being felt today. And I can personally attest to this because God used his writings to refine my understanding of who God is. Of the grace of God. Augustine's works have been instrumental in my daily reliance on God and not my own strength. To realize that but for God go I. This is Augustine. This is the man, perhaps the myth. And this is his conversion. This is his contention. He fought for the gospel. And this is his contribution. His writings keep on giving today. Not because he was awesome, but because he was used by an awesome God. Here's some action steps for you. Just two. First, I want to encourage you to read the book of Romans. Read through it. Romans is perhaps the most theologically rich book in the Bible. Not to say that theology isn't found in anywhere else, but Paul seems to, to capture the fullness of the gospel in 16 chapters. Read through that. Pick a translation that's readable, folks. So if you know your English ain't that good, don't pick the King James. Just don't do it. Even if your English is good, don't pick King James. Because thou do not knowest what thou readest. Pick a translation that works for you. You version is very helpful, super helpful in that process. If perhaps reading is not your shtick, then go ahead and listen to it. In fact, every night for the last few months, I have been playing the Bible as I go to bed and as I wake up. I'm waking up speaking Hebrew and stuff right now. <laughs> I'm, having, I'm remembering the story, but it's good to just have that when you are at rest to just have the word of God going through your air gate and just, just kind of staying in there. And you wake up in the morning feeling happy. And prayer and family is wondering, what happened? Did you take some Percocet or something? What's wrong with you? I took Jesus. Listen to that. And I want you to feel encouraged that if you see me in the hallways or you have my email address, email me. Let me know what you're learning in God's word. It's always a joy to hear that. Secondly, I want you to practice Grace. It's amazing that those of us who have been given the unmerited grace of God are often the ones who are hard-pressed to give other people that grace. Practice grace. Reach out to people that you think you don't like, because I trust you that you don't really not like someone, but you think you don't like them. Reach out to them. Reach out to somebody that you think doesn't like you, because I trust them too, that they don't really not like you. They think they don't like you. If I call you this week, though, it's not because I don't like you, folks. Just to be sure. Could be. I don't know. I'm a sinner. But I'm following my own, my own instructions. Reach out to folks that you think you don't like. Reach out to someone you think doesn't like you. Extend God's grace. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be long. Just checking in on you. See how you're doing. Let God use that. Nothing may come out of it. I'm not going to promise you that. 
What does come out of it is that you have been gracious to people and you have extended to people a glimpse of what you have gained in Christ. I'm blessed for us to have had a great turnout for registrations for Be The Bridge. It's been wonderful. That's going to be another opportunity for us to extend grace to each other, especially in these hot-button topics of race and ethnicity. If you haven't signed up, you can still join us. Perhaps maybe next time we'll keep your name, but we've got a lot of people already, and we're excited for that. We want to have those conversations. So all of you who have registered, thank you, because that's part of grace, to step into things that are uncomfortable. Because can I tell you something? It was uncomfortable for him to die on the cross for you and I. But he stepped into it. Let's stand and pray together. Maybe you are here and you don't know Christ. You might not even know your heart's restless, but I promise you, so far as I know the world and I know myself and I know my experiences, your heart will be restless until they find their rest in Christ. If you hear him now, do not harden your heart. You may have doubts. That's fine. I wouldn't have thought a 20, 30-minute sermon would fix all of your doubts. But I know a God who just doesn't have the answer, but he himself is the answer. Speak to him now wherever you are. Call on him now. The Bible declares that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are having an unction for God right now, God put that in there. It takes God to obey God. So Lord, even in this hour, grant what you command and command what you will. And if you've prayed that prayer, we want to connect with you. Father, we come to you even now in this moment. You, O Lord, have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Tug on our hearts now to find their rest in you. Augustine isn't perfect. None of us are which makes your gospel truth so good that you are saving people who cannot, will not, and don't even know that they need saving. Show us now who you are. Show us who we are, that we may bend the knee to you and find rest in you. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us for Daniel's message on Augustine. I want to make sure that you get connected. Uh, The best way to do that is by going to our now page and clicking the connect card, filling out some information about yourself, and then we can help you take your next steps. Also want to let you know that uh, we have another series coming up pretty soon called Cross Equals Love. It's the one that gets us ready for Easter. And we have uh, some shirts that we sell along with that. And, um, and we're going to be selling some masks once we get in person. So uh, stay tuned for that. But also you can find that information at easterlife.com. That's easterlife.com. Or you can go to our now page as always, because that's where we have our most up-to-date information. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you soon.